Well, good morning, friends. Uh, my name is Jack, and I'm the lead pastor for Bethany Northeast, and I do see some faces that either I have not seen for a while or that are new, so welcome to all of you. Um, and if you're worshiping with us online, welcome as well there. Uh, before I dismiss our kids, this is the wrong size. <laughs> That's funny. Okie dokie. Let's go with it. Hey, before I dismiss our kids this morning, um, I just want to take a few moments to offer a bit of a confession and acknowledgement. And so, as you guys all know, um, or if you've been here, we've been in a sermon series for like about the past five weeks called One Another, where we've been talking about, uh, or we've been exploring what it means to be in deep relationships within the church. We've been looking at things like confession, um, encouragement last Sunday, if you were at Green Lake or worshiped with us online there, uh, the, what it means to love one another. We're also in the midst of, uh, in, in November every year, Native American Heritage Month. We've begun celebrating these heritage months at Bethany Northeast the last couple years and, and doing that both um, in worship as well as um, in person online in some different modules that we've created for you too. And we're doing a book right now. Um, that you could read through this month and, and then at the end of the month talk through. And so, though we want to celebrate, <clears throat> we do, uh, the heritage of our Native and Indigenous brothers and sisters, we also need to acknowledge that the church in North America, especially as we're kind of looking, pressing into this call to, to one another, one another, has not um, done well in that respect with Native and Indigenous people. Um, we confess on your, as your one of your pastors, I confess that we have not stood against the oppression of Native, Native and Indigenous people um, or injustice or racism when it occurs. We haven't said anything about it at times. Just kind of, it's another Sunday some days. Um, we, and we grieve it. We grieve that this is, that's, we grieve that wrong. We grieve that we've stood in that posture. And so we want to stand against current systems. We know it's not just attitudes, but it's systems that prejudice against um, certain groups of people, in this particular month, Native people. Um, and we want to listen, we want to learn, and that's part of our journey right now. We want a, a chance to build and restore, repair relationships where they've been broken, broken trust. And then beyond that, opportunities as they emerge to serve um, in practical ways. And so to that end, as we move to blessing and dismissing our kids this morning, um, I just want to invite us to do something that's become a practice within uh, learning communities. I'm sure students are doing this in your class classrooms, maybe some of your workplaces, and we've begun doing this at Bethany, um, and that's a land acknowledgement. <clears throat> we adopted a land acknowledgement last year at Bethany through our mission department and then our council, and um, this is an opportunity for us to acknowledge that the land that we're on is not our own, and uh, also for us to press into that sort of posture of confession. And so this is a collective corporate Acknowledgement, if you could say this with me, it'll be on the screen, and then I'll bless and dismiss our kids. I'd love to have everyone participate in this if you feel led. So let's get these words up, and would you do this? join me in this? We at Bethany Community Church acknowledge that we gather today on the ancestral lands of the Duwamish people of Seattle, people of the inside, and of the Coast Salish people, a people who are still here, we express our respect and gratitude for indigenous siblings, their elders, and for their past, present, and future care and protection of our shared lands and waterways.
Would you join me in praying, and then we'll bless you as you go, kids. God, thank you so much for um, this day, this morning, that we did not um, cause, that you created. Thank you for this land on which we stand and sit and inhabit. And though the story of the land that we're on is unknown to some of us, and there are pain points within that story, God, um, we come into this moment, God, with gratitude that we are here, um, that we can be in relationship with others. Uh, Specifically, God, we thank you for the Duwamish and Salish people, um, for their stories, for their journey. And and would you allow us to learn, put us into a new posture of learning, so that as we move forward in faith as a community, we might, um, we might grow together into an expression of what your kingdom looks like. God, thanks for kids. Thanks for their lives, for their journeys, their faith as it's growing. And so we bless them, Lord, as they go. Into the classrooms they go. Thank you for their teachers this morning that are serving. Would you encourage everyone with your spirit of encouragement? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, hey, go off to your classes. I think there's some, if you're new teachers, the teachers will meet you at the doors and walk you out. Um, I believe uh, John High School or Amy High School is happening as well. High school, middle school are happening. I think Amy, who's got her hand up at the door, could guide you there if you're new and we want to go check that out. All right. Well, this morning, um, like I said, we're continuing this One Another series, and we're looking at the call to welcome one another. First and foremost, if you're new, welcome (laughs) again. We do have a welcome card that exists on our table, a little welcome table at the uh, entrance or exit as you came in, and you'll see a few welcome cards on there. And so, yeah, if you're new and you'd like to connect with one of us as a staff, we have our cards on that table as well as this little card you could fill out. That also doubles as our prayer request card, so... um, if you'd like to share a prayer request with us, our staff every Monday meets and prays for you. And so we'd love to be doing that specifically in specific ways. So you can drop that in the little box there, and then that'll guide us in knowing how to do that better. So this morning we're talking about what it means to welcome one another. We have two texts, um, one from Romans chapter 15 and one from 1 Peter chapter 4. And I'll go ahead and read these for us, and then we'll dive in. So first, Romans 15, verses 5 to 7. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And then the second reading is from 1 Peter 4, verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms, in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Um, let me pull up my notes here. Where did they go? Here we go. Nope. 
a moment. Hmm. Nope. Talk amongst yourselves for a moment. Nope. <laughs> I'm seeing like old sermons on here. Like you could, I could give you that one. Give you that one. I'm not going to give you that one. There it is. Well, hey, uh, as we dive in today, um, like, like many of you, just by way of introduction, I've taken to watching this show, Ted Lasso. How many have seen it through? Okay. Some of you haven't. For the uninitiated, um, this is now this popular dramedy on Apple TV that uh, it follows the, the story's namesake, Ted Lasso, who's this former Division Three football coach, actually quite successful, turned Premier League soccer coach. And I know I said soccer, Silas, not football, but that's just for clarity. Okay, I know it's football, actually football, and blah, blah, blah. He's hired in this attempt by the team's owner to basically spite her ex-husband and then just drive into the ground. It's just wonderful, witty, even at times emotionally moving show, if you've seen it. Anyway, there was this episode toward the end of season two entitled The Beard After Hours. How many saw this? Yeah, of course you did. Which of all the episodes in both seasons is by far the strangest? I heard it follows like a Martin Scorsese movie. Uh, so if you go into the Reddit, it's, that's, what, that's what's going on there. But uh, it's, it hail, it's hailed as Beard's Dark Night of the Soul. And it follows the story of Ted's sidekick, Coach Beard. I don't think he actually has a name. Does he have a name? No, just Coach Beard. So he goes on the circuitous journey through the streets of London. He's, uh, he goes to a pub, then a club. He meets a lady in red. He, uh, he breaks his key off in the lock of his home, and eventually he finds himself in this empty church, which is where I'd like to enter in with you this morning and just watch this quick, it's like a two-minute scene from inside that church as we begin thinking about the theme of hospitality and welcome. So let's watch this real quick.
That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. But, I mean, for a lot of us here today, we're the beard. Like, we feel like our key has sort of broken off in the lock of our lives. Um, we don't really know who we are anymore. We don't even know the questions we're asking anymore. We've lost a sense of direction. Life feels like maybe like this downpour, you know. I mean, certainly right now with this atmospheric river, that's not hard to imagine. We're lost. Maybe you feel like Coach Beard right now, just a little bit lost. And what's more, even though popular media tends to portray the church somewhat unfavorably, right, uh, this clip gets at least one thing right, that for centuries, probably from about the second century through at least about the 17th century, there was one place, there was a, a community, if you will, a context, like he goes into this church, if you go many places in Europe today even, where churches are just unlocked, where you knew you could go if you were like Coach Beard, if you were lost, looking for refuge, if you were sick, looking for a hospital, and you needed healing, if you were a refugee looking for asylum, you could go. These were safe spaces. Before there were hotels, hospitals, hostels, there was this one place you could go, and that was the church. The church became famous, as you read history books, famous for its welcome, famous for its hospitality, famous for being in the midst of this sort of wilderness and of an inhospitable world, a violent world, a place of welcome. And so whether you identify with Coach Beard or not, what I think we'll learn today as we talk about hospitality is that uh, it's not what many of us think it is. It's not Martha Stewart living. It's not your Thanksgiving feast. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, and so, you know, according to Scripture, actually, what hospitality essentially is, is it's a radical act of community in mission, where we express that here you are home. Here you're safe. Here you can come and wrestle with your deepest meaning questions, maybe even find meaning, you know. And so to that end, let's just take some, I want to take some time with you to consider a couple aspects of that hospitality that we're actually talking about that's different than the hospitality that we read about in magazines and often cookbooks and books, you know. We're going to look at two aspects of this. The, the first is God's hospitality to us, which is really the foundation for all hospitality as we talk about it. And then the second is uh, God's hospitality through us. What does it look like to express hospitality through our daily lives? So God's hospitality to us, and then God's hospitality through us, okay? So first, God's hospitality, or I'm using those words hospitality and welcome interchangeably, but first, God's hospitality to us. And there's a lot of beautiful themes, if you know the story of God, Genesis to Revelation, that run through the whole Bible, um, but I think this, for me, is one of the most striking and beautiful, the theme of hospitality. It shows up as early as Genesis 1, actually. In the very beginning, God begins the story of God with, a, with an astounding act of hospitality, and that is creation. God creates a world for humanity, for all creatures to dwell within, to experience refuge, to experience community. Um, Lauren Winner, who's an author and a theologian, she writes that creation is indeed the ultimate expression of God's hospitality to his creatures. And then she says it this way, that the world is actually one big hospitality inn. You know, you pick your favorite hotel, Best Western or whatever. It's actually one, maybe Best Western's a bad idea, but it's one big hospitality inn. And of course, if you know the story of God, it doesn't go very well for very long. By the third chapter... <laughs> Uh, it's completely off the rails. And, and, and in those chapters, we find humanity beginning to experience maybe the opposite of hospitality, exile, wandering, homelessness, alienation from God, from one another, from creation. It's all broken. 
We're no longer home in the world that God created for us. But there's good news in that because God as the creator and sustainer and redeemer doesn't give up on humanity if you know the story. God continues to pursue humanity and call humanity back, seek them out to accompany them through, this is Exodus, this is most of the Old Testament, to accompany them through their wilderness wanderings, to be with them in that, to be shelter to them, for them to experience God's love and care for them and for the created world. This is a seeking that, is ultimately, that ultimately culminates in Jesus Christ. John 1.14 one of my favorite verses in the Bible, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love the message translation that, the, that Jesus Christ took on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So it, was never, it wasn't good enough for God to follow his people in a pillar of fire and cloud or to be a tabernacle, but in, in Jesus, God became the tabernacle. God became the place uh, where the people could encounter God in their lostness. God would not live with people in Jesus as you have people living with you. If you can imagine, well, maybe you can, God inside your children, God inside your spouse, um, God inside yourself, eating and drinking with sinners. Jesus does this at weddings, at feasts. I mean, think of the amount of times Jesus is actually at parties in his ministry. And there's a theological reason for that. It wasn't that Jesus was just some party animal. I think Jesus is communicating that that being in relationship with God is about welcome and about hospitality. Jesus is the host. He's hosting others. He's, he's being hosted. He extends grace and healing and kindness and mercy in all these contexts. He is hospitality incarnate. That's really what the gospel is. Grace is hospitality of God for sinners. That's really what it is. And so God's hospitality means that God is now thrown up in these doors of mercy to us and says to each and every one of us, if we want to be in relationship to God, you know, welcome home. If you feel lost, if you are wandering, if you're unsure, if you matter, you belong. You're, you're part of God's family, no matter who you are. And so some of us, I don't know, I put myself in this group. Uh, for us, sometimes this is just a story. Hey, you've narrated the whole Bible to me, Jack. Thank you so much. But that's unbelievable. That's unattainable. I don't see that happening. I experience overwhelming isolation and loneliness. Certainly a lot of us have this last year. Um, and we see injustice and we see hate. We, you know, this kind of home that I'm describing that God created us for seems utterly strange and foreign to us. We cannot believe in it. It's, we, re, we resist believing in it. There's others of us that have hung around for a while, actually, in the church <laughs> And frankly, have not responded to that. We be maybe believe in it, but we have not. We've, we're sitting on the front porch, so to speak. We're like the elder brother in the story from Luke 15, out in the field, not sure we can trust God, um, not sure we really like the family of God that much. We're just kind of stuck in whatever pattern of belief or unbelief that we're in. And there's others, a little bit like me as well, who every day live in this posture and this loop, this we forget this is true. We, we know it to be true, and we forget. We live like orphans. We live like we're on the outside. We struggle with doubt and shame and fear. And we cannot, we cannot grasp this. And I don't know exactly which one of you that is, or if it's all three of you at the same time simultaneously. That's a little bit of me here. I don't know why you're here today, what brought you here today. I see some new faces. 
Some of you are here because you like to be here. You really love it here. Others are here because you're really hoping this might be true. You're hoping. Others of you are here because someone made you come. You're here because you love that person next to you, and you're like, I'm going to come because they asked me to come. We welcome all of you here, by the way. But wherever you're here, I want all of you to know that it's always a good time to come home. You know, it's always a good time to come home. I, when I was in my teens, ran away from home for a brief period of time. You know, I, I had a big fight with my parents. Um, and by, say, by a brief period of time, it was a night. But, you know, I ran away. I went to the Grange in Spokane. We have these things called the Grange. Any of you guys have Granges in your hometowns? It's like a little community center out in the kind of the rural areas where I grew up. And um, I was, I had my, my bag full of random things. I'd thrown in, I think, like my swim gear and, um, you know, maybe a pair of shoes. I didn't have any, anything. I wasn't, I was not going to stay more than one night. And I went and sat on the porch of this Grange and my parents, I just remember seeing their Ford Explorer driving, you know, back and forth looking for me. Knowing that I hadn't gotten that far and I realized in that moment, you know, what am I doing? And so I just walked out on the road, and I waved him down, and I, re- I just think I realized it's always a good time to come home. There's always opportunity inside your home to, to allow God to, to make things right. And so that's me just saying um, I want all of us to heed this call, this invitation. No matter how messed up right now uh, your life feels right now, how broken your literal home feels right now. It might be actually broken, and there needs to be a lot of work that needs to get done. It took us, my family, has taken us many, many years to repair that story. Um, No matter how messed up your marriage is right now, you might be sitting next to that person who invited you and going, ah, we have a conversation we need to have. Um, No matter how filled with doubts and discouragements you are right now, you know, we come through a year, like this last year we've had, deeply discouraged, like wounded. Our hearts are wounded. You're hiding deep wounds. No matter where you are right now is God. And he's saying, come home. Welcome home. This is Jesus in the gospel declaring to us, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And by seeking and saving, that's not just getting you to pray a prayer one day on your knees next to your bed, though that's fine or punching your ticket to heaven, that's God, that, that's, that's the declaration that God is a life on earth just as in heaven for you, a life of peace and a life of wholeness, a life filled with joy and love, a life of community. And that begins with God saying, come home. Come home. And friends, we got to get this. We, we have to get this. If you haven't gotten this, or if you're, in a, if you're kind of in a journey of still getting it over again, if we're ever going to become hospitable people, if this church, let me just say it this way, a church like ours or a community that isn't marked by hospitality, that doesn't bear the marks of God's hospitality to us, cannot extend hospitality to others. We can't do it. We can't give something we don't have, right? And so we have, every, each and every one of us in our church as a community have to know this to be true. We have to, this has to be in us before we can give it out of us. And that can, that can happen through prayer, through meditation, through speaking truth to, to each other. Silas is going to preach on this next week. Speak the truth to one another. It could be declaring the truth to those in your life that do you realize how much God loves you? 
You live with so many doubts. Do you realize that you're loved? We have to get this. This is so foundational. So that's the first thing, okay? God's hospitality to us. It courses through the entire story. The second thing I want to talk about here then is this question, well, what's the intended expression of hospitality? If it's true that God welcomes us, what does it look like for us to extend that? I mean, because it's not good enough for us to, to hear that story and to go, yes, I affirm it. I know I'm welcome. It's, it's vital, but we are intended to become the expression of God's hospitality on earth. Uh, conduits or highways of hospitality, you might say. People along with whom God, people can experience welcome. And in the Old Testament, God tells his people, Levit- Leviticus 19, this is during those wandering years, that when an alien or foreigner is among your land, when there's somebody who is lost, wandering, hopeless, in despair, don't mistreat them. Which means this, don't overlook them. Don't ignore them. Don't leave them to their own defenses. Uh, the sin of individualism in our society, in the ch- American church, is so rampant. Like, we have to pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps, right? Um, and can I just say that's a lie? Uh, you know, God has given us to each other in order that we might practically and tangibly express love, grace, mercy, and welcome. And we're, we have to be doing this. And so God says, when you, when you come across somebody who's lost, you can see on their face, welcome them. Love them as you love yourself. Because you were once lost in Egypt as well. You were once aliens. You, and I welcomed you. Romans 15 says it this way, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. So the question becomes, how? How do I do that in ways that are practical and deep um, in the wilderness of the world in which we live? And so I just want to offer a few suggestions, maybe some things for us to chew on um, as we go our way today. The first is, and this is from that, that Romans passage, love, we must love each other deeply. I love it, and Peter says this as well. We must, I like this idea that, that they articulate that the, in the early church was seen as loving deeply. And I like that because it means that we actually have a capacity and a calling to, to wholly and fully and completely love without fear or restraint. And I like that because the default mode of my heart is not to do that. I can be very aloof. I've got a lot of previous and hurts in relationships. I shared a little bit about that with my parents. And so oftentimes, I am not a conduit of welcome to the lost of the world. I hold back. Sometimes it's out of shame. Um, This is hard for us sometimes, if this is you as well. It's a hard calling to hear. Our own stories haunt us. Our own experiences of feeling unloved. They live in our minds. Um, Loving deeply is not easy. And yet... (laughs) You know, and you layer onto that this, this collective experience of, of fear and anxiety, like this for, foreboding in the air right now. Um, like we're, we're more connected than we ever have been, and yet we're more probably isolated than ever in history, politically, ideologically, socially. I read this article recently by this psychologist who's writing about the confluence of all these experiences that we've gone through this year. Um, you know, the pandemic, the racial reckoning, mental health crisis, massive failures in leadership. Um, breach of public trust. And the psychologist was suggesting that what happens times like these, internally, psychologically, socially, externally, spiritually, is we begin to adopt this collective sense 
of powerlessness and vulnerability and fear, though we may not talk about it with each other. And what do fearful people tend to do? We tend to close up. We tend to go in. We tend to isolate and cocoon. Um, we close up our homes, right? Though that's been mandated this last year or so, I imagine most of our homes are pretty closed up right now. For good reason. We make them private enclosures of refuge from the chaos of the world. We close up our families, often to protect our children from harm, right? And that's, in seasons like this last season, a wise thing to do. I'm not telling you you shouldn't. We close up our social networks. We close up our borders. We close up our churches. And I just have to say, that's not unusual. That's really part of, that's defense mechanism. That's kind of how we're built, right? Sometimes. It's also not how God calls his people to respond to those experiences. God calls us to a different response, a different way of being in the world, a depth of love in the midst of chaos and the turn of the world. Um, One way to translate hospitality is actually to love opening the door. I love that because it's an image. You know, if you ever open the door for somebody, and to love doing that, not to resent doing it. um, That's a way to love deeply, I suppose. To love opening the door for others. I mean, Jesus did this once for his disciples. This is at the end of the Gospel of Luke. Um, he finds them in this upper room after his death and resurrection. They're f- afraid. Remember this story? They've heard the story of his resurrection from the women who went to the tomb. And Luke says they're locked in this room for fear of the Jews. I think it's like they think they're next. They're experiencing many of the things we're experiencing. Disorientation, disillusionment, despair. And Jesus says he, he literally comes through the doors, <laughs> which is like going through the doors of their locked hearts, I think, into their gathering, this closed-down group, right? And he says, don't be afraid. Number one repeated commandment in the entire Bible, don't be afraid. I'm with you, which is another way of saying open up, love deeply, trust. Can you trust again in my goodness? And so the question might be, like, what would that look like for us? to open the doors, to love opening doors for others in our lives, in your family, in your home, in your community, in this context, in our church. I have a friend who recently told me that his family's been watching the Great British Baking Show together. How many of you guys have binged that? Yeah, some of you. We're watching it as a family as well, season nine or it's season 12. I don't even know. But uh, this family decided to turn off the TV and actually start baking together. Novel idea, right? And in doing so, they started to bake extra items, extra pies and cookies and soups and breads. I know soup's not a baking thing, but they sometimes make that on that show, which is weird to me. Um, and with the extra, they're taking that to their neighbors. So if they bake five pies, they take four to neighbors. Not only as a way to reconnect as a family, but then to reconnect with neighbors. And this friend told me that as, he sh- as, they, as they shared uh, a pumpkin pie, actually, with one of their neighbors recently, because it's pumpkin season, you'd think that that neighbor received a lottery ticket, a winning lottery ticket, getting a pumpkin pie three weeks before Thanksgiving. It's not even really pumpkin season yet. And uh, that's a way to open the door. Another neighbor of ours that attends our church is hosting a book group. Some of you go to this group. My wife's going to this group in her stinking garage. In her, by the way, her garage doesn't stink. That's just a, a mannerism I picked up from living in Missouri for a couple of years. Uh, but you can imagine amongst all the sports equipment and the lawnmower and the spare tires, this sacred gathering, a fellowship of grace. That's a way of opening the door. 
We have other friends, some in our church, that are actively engaged in becoming foster parents, some who are thinking of adopting right now. That's a way of opening the door. It could be gardening your pea patch instead of your backyard. It could be moving your solo stove to the front yard instead of keeping it in the backyard. There's lots of ways to open the door. The, the people of God in times of stress and crisis have always gotten creative about how to open the door. They've never let it be, oh, it's too hard. We can't imagine this. The, people, the reason the church exists today, because we made a lot of mistakes, is because the people of God get creative about it. And so what would a creative way look like for you, for our church, to open the door for others, to, to love deeply again? That's our calling. That's number one. The second is we seek the stranger. Now, I've shared this before with you that the, the word hospitality here that First Peter uses is the Greek word phyloxenia. And uh, the love of strangers. You know, there's the word philo- Philadelphia, which we get that city from, the love of brothers and sisters. Philoxenia is the love of strangers. And of course, upon discovering that, that blew me away. Perhaps it blew you away, that there's a, a love, a different kind of love of strangers out there. It continues to blow me away. Since we tend to think of hospitality, if you think of it as a word picture, as inviting over your friends and neighbors, I just talked about taking pies to neighbors, serving them artisanal cheese, maybe fine wine, maybe some little crackers from Trader Joe's. <laughs> and I love those things, by the way. So invite me over. But that's not what we're talking about, okay? As much as I love Martha Stewart, Rachel Ray, I love you too, but... That's not hospitality, at least as the Bible frames it. Hospitality is the love of others, the love of strangers. Specifically, when the Bible talks about others and strangers, the Bible's emphatic in describing those people as the excluded, the unwelcome, the outcast, and the poor. And can I just say, we don't do this very well. Our church and the church in North America we are, we are so terribly polarized right now. Not just politically, ideologically. This is probably the most polarized period in the last 30, 25, 30 years. And it's, it doesn't seem to be getting much better. I don't, just because we have a new president or whatever, it's not getting much better. We've lost a sense of how to relate to people in difference. And not, not indifference, but in their difference. Different than ourselves. From different backgrounds, different origins, different stories and circumstances. We've just lost an ability to do that. And our devices are not helping us. I read a, an article. Of, do you know that Facebook and Google, and I apologize, I know a couple of you work for Google here, have algorithms, and maybe you create this algorithm, so I really apologize, <laughs> that automatically filter out viewpoints or information that seem dissimilar to your viewpoints. Did you guys know that? So if you've got a Facebook page or if you're on the internet, Google, duh, what it means is we're essentially trapped inside a self-justifying feedback loop like an echo chamber that is fueling our personal and collective tribalism. We're losing. We're actively losing. Every day we're on our computers a sense of how to welcome people different than us. We are instead being trapped and conditioned to despise them. We say mean things on our Facebook walls, you know. Uh, we digest YouTube video after YouTube video that just justifies our, our anger, our fear. We resist the stranger. We oppose the stranger. We avoid the stranger. We fear the stranger. We could never know how to love the stranger because of that. And the Bible says, may it not be so for the people of God. May it not be so. 
close down your device for a day. <laughs> Shut down your YouTube, your laptop for the day. The people of God are not called to be xenophobic. People who fear others, people unlike them, people dissimilar to them, but xenophiles, people who love people who are different, people who embrace the other, people who ex- ex- embrace divergence, dissimilarity. Did you know that we have a few different sections here, and if I did some theological polls here on one question, seven-day creation, atonement, pick any theological issue. We, I don't even know how many people are here, but if there's 90 people here, we'd have 99 views. We would. You don't all think the same, and we need to, we're called to embrace that difference, that divergence. That's what it means to be the people of God. And that divergence could be uh, politically. It could be somebody from a different ethnic group whose story you just don't understand, and you're being called to seek understanding. Faith is seeking understanding. It could be a theological difference, like I said. It could be a social economic difference. There's a lot of social and economic difference right around us right now. People sleeping in tents on street corners. You've never had to do that probably. Learning that story, seeking to understand that story and that experience. Another way to ask this is perhaps to ask, who is the most excluded or who are the most excluded? Remember I talked about the others and how the Bible understands them. Who are the most excluded and marginalized people in our community? Think about this for a moment. Who is standing at the margins of this part of our city right now? When you think of the margin, not the center. And what might it look like for us to make room to open the door for them in our lives to extend practical hospitality? You know, I could offer a lot of ideas there. I'm going to withhold for a sec because, um, yeah, I think I want to sit with that question both who is on the margins, but also what does it look like for our community to come together? You might be brand new. You might be just coming back. You might have been here every Sunday. What does it look like for us to come together and be the welcome of God for those on the, the margins of our society? Who's God laying on your hearts? Is God laying a vision on your heart for that? I would love to hear it. I think Silas and John would love to hear it. That's number two. We, we love, we have to live deeply. We're called to seek the stranger. Here's the last thing, and I'll be quick. We need to learn to embrace vulnerability. You know, this talk of opening up your home, it's not a good time to do that, Jack. <laughs> COVID, duh. Uh, or your garage, inviting people into your life. This talk of making space for difference, dissimilarity, for the stranger, that might make you a little nervous. Um, because some of you say, well, my home's a mess, and my life is a mess. Like, there's a heap of laundry on my, my bed that's been there for a week. I just push it to the side when I go to bed, and I put it back on the bed in the morning. There's milk curdling in the fridge, so I got nothing to sweeten your tea or coffee with. There's dog hair on the couch, and I'm not speaking narratively, but there is. We got a dog, and there's hair all the time everywhere. And our church isn't that different. You know, I'm not sure if we're ready to open the doors. I'm grateful that there's new people here. Really, I am. I'm also shocked that you're here at times. Uh, This talk of new people, new voices, for some of us, new perspectives, it can feel uncomfortable. Like, are we ready for that? Do we know how to make space? 
And part of this, I think, might be our, at least this reaction, um, is because our culture of hospitality, when you think of your own life, your own personal life, let's frame it that way, hospitality has essentially become a performance art. I mentioned Rachel Ray and Martha Stewart. I recently started seeing these magazines on the newsstands in the grocery stores or in your news feed for the holiday issues and, you know, these lifestyle wine food magazines. You look at any of them on the cover, and they're going to give you tips, usually a list of tips somewhere in the magazine, how to set the perfect table, you know, how to cook the perfect turkey, which wines pair best with which foods, which herbs and spices to put in your dessert to bring out the flavor. You know, you're going to learn how to create this right ambiance using bird noises and water and how to have conversation, the art of conversation. We, we have that, right? Which is all fine, right? But it might leave you never wanting to have anyone in your home ever again, right? Ever. Because the implied expectation is that we have to know how to cook the perfect food we have to be the perfect family, and we have to carry on the perfect conversation. And if we don't, we're somehow less than. So the implication is that hospitality, whether it's your own home or a community like our church, is really about perfection. Uh, that everything has to be just right. Candlelight, you know, all that thing. There must be ambiance in the space we're in, or else we're doing something wrong. And I just need to say that's not Hospitality. That's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about hospitality. That might be entertainment, and there's a space and a time for entertainment. That's not what we're talking about, which is just another way to maybe bluntly say there needs to be space, and there need to be times for us to connect with others as we are, as they are, in spaces that just are. You know, there's nothing special going on. This is just dinner. There's not going to be dessert. We're just drinking water. And by the way, it's from the faucet. Okay? This is not distilled. And it's just Tuesday. My staff knows this, but one of my friends like to, likes to say that the seventh best day of the week is Tuesday. So there's nothing that's ever happened on a Tuesday that's worth talking about. Ever. That's a joke. Okay? Thank you. Ha. Uh, put it in the context of our church. It's just church. This is just worship. Your chairs are plastic. They were pretty dirty after about a year of sitting there. We have almost, well, not today because it's so windy, but every window and door is open, so it's cold in here. It's windy. Don't get me started on the lights and the soundboard and all that. Love you, Nate. But, and then there's this preacher guy, right? And so, friends, that's not why we're here. It might be part of what brought you here. It might be part of what we do here. But why we're here is a completely different question. A friend of mine once told me a story, a, friend, a pastor friend of mine who I went to seminary with, of his church's neighborhood groups, sort of like our uh, neighborhood groups. They have community groups, neighborhood groups that are these geographic, mid-sized groups that gather simply to do life. Perhaps you've been part of one of these or you've been wanting to be part of one of these, um, and I'd love to connect you with that because there is still a vision I believe in. Not necessarily to study a Bible passage or to do anything churchy, but just to be together. Maybe share a meal, maybe not. Share life, do life. And in their church, uh, they rotate who hosts the groups amongst everybody, very democratic, amongst everybody in the groups. Everybody gets a chance to host at one point. And then there's this one group at one time that there was a man 
in the group named Don, who at the time was unhoused. He'd lost his job. He was living in an encampment under a bridge. And it was eventually going to be his turn to host. And uh, they'd warmly welcomed him, this group, into their fellowship. And he'd never been given the opportunity to host this group because of his situation. And he said to the group, when it came his turn, I cannot wait to have you all over for dinner. Can you imagine? And he did it. Don had this group, about 20 people, to his encampment. He made a fire. It was a cold evening. You can imagine they're all huddled up. (laughs) There's none of these twinkly lights hanging up. They're under a bridge. They ate off paper plates. And this pastor friend of mine tells me that the group, members of that group came to him and they told him that was the holiest night of their lives. Not the night they got saved, not the day of their wedding, never a church service, but that night with Don being hosted under a bridge. That's hospitality. That's what the Bible's talking about. Hospitality means letting people into your real life as it is, not as you wish it was, where it is vulnerably, authentically, with the goal, the goal of sharing God's grace with others. That's why I love that First Peter verse. If anybody has a gift to share, let them give it. I believe Don knew that, the theology behind that verse. He had a gift to share. And he knew he, he, knew he was a steward of God's grace. And that's what it meant to host other people to steward the grace of God. So might we be a church, Bethany Community Church Northeast, that is learning how to live more fully into this great calling that God has given us to welcome one another by both responding to the first invitation that God's extended to each of us, come home, and then being courageous enough to practice. It's a practice. Romans says practice hospitality. Practice. You don't have to get it perfect. You don't have to get it right to practice hospitality with the people and in the places that God's placed you. And might we do that in this space as well. Let me go ahead and pray for us. God, we thank you for your word and the richness of it, how it speaks into practical places in our lives. And so, God, if it's spoken to any of our lives this morning around our sense of being lost, God, I pray for your spirit in these last moments together to do its finding work. Thank you, spirit, that you seek us, you encounter us, even in the spaces where there's no words, God, as Romans says, that you are a God who doesn't give up on us, and you're inviting us right now to come home. And God, would you give us the courage as a community? I know there's some of us don't even know anybody here, and so to think of ourselves as part of a community is a weird thing to think right now, but we are part of your family of faith. So would you give us the courage, would you give us the vision to press in, God, in this season that's very hard to practice this thing called hospitality? Would you give us the imagination, God, the creativity to be the church both on this corner and then in the communities that you call us, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, and our families. 
Thank you, Spirit, that you're with us and that you continue to minister in this time. We pray this in Christ and by the Spirit.